today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. I want to let you know real quick here, storms come in every one of our lives. Amen? Anybody in here never have a storm in their life? Been smooth sailing all your life? You're either very young or very naive, uh, if that's the case. Every one of us go through storms. Sometimes those storms are just the, the reality of the fallen world that we live in, okay? Just stuff that goes on, unfortunately. Sometimes those storms come to our life, causing us to just cry out, for the Lord, for a deeper walk and a more dependence upon Him. And sometimes those storms do come in our life to straighten us up and get us back on the right track. Today, Pastor David is going to talk about Jonah and his attempt to flee from God's plan for his life. Just like Jonah, everyone goes through tough moments in their lives. Remember that you can always turn back to Him and trust in His help in these difficult moments of faith. Perhaps this hardship in life will draw you nearer to God and strengthen your relationship with Him. It's easy to lose focus on what truly matters, but remember that, like Jonah, you also have a calling in life, and you must not run from what God has called you to do. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Jonah, chapters 1, 2, and 3, as he begins his message. in our journey through the Bible in a year. And as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, we're like way behind uh, to get through in a year. We're like, uh, we're halfway through the year. We're about a third through the Bible. And as I've shared with you along this journey, that means is as we go through these books, we're not hitting on every point. And, and, and particularly sometimes we're going to miss your favorite verse in a particular book of the Bible. I understand that. What we're trying to do is give a good overview to not only help you understand not only the place of that book within the whole being of the Word of God, but also a kernel of understanding of what that book is about, hopefully to whet your interest to go back in and to read it and study it yourself, to giving that overview to, again, touch base on it. Now, tonight we're going to be looking at two of what are called the minor prophets. We also shared uh, last week that there's 12 minor prophets, and it's not because their message is is less than the major prophets. It's just that primarily they're shorter books or smaller books. The uh, first one we're going to look at tonight is actually the book of Jonah, Jonah the reluctant uh, messenger of God. And uh, Jonah was a contemporary of two other minor prophets during the time, Amos and Hosea. They believe that uh, Jonah was written probably around 759 BC, so 759 years or so before the time of Christ. Now, to help you understand the significance of that number, 759 or 760, 
About uh, 40, almost 40 years later, 722 BC is when the northern kingdom fell. So this is before the fall of the northern kingdom, long before the fall of the southern kingdom, which took place in 586. So 200 or so years before the fall of southern kingdom, about 40 years or so before the fall of the northern kingdom. During this time, the, one of the greatest empires really of that age until finally coming of probably the Greeks and the Romans beyond them, the Assyrian Empire was just a powerful, powerful force in that area. The Assyrians were, were wicked. They were vile people. As, as a matter of fact, they were, they were so wretched and, and so cruel to their enemies that just to understand that the, the Assyrians were coming after you would, would just wreak havoc and, 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 and fear within anyone that they were coming against. A little bit later, in, when we look at the book of Amos, Amos speaks about God's going to draw you with fish hooks. And again, Amos speaking to the northern kingdom to Israel. Uh, the reason that we tie that together with Assyria is that's the way the Assyrians used to grab their captives. Whenever they would go and they would defeat an enemy, they would literally take large hooks and hook it through the bottom of their mouth and through the front of their chin. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, they're pulling you along with a chain on that. My chain would be connected to your chain, connected to your chain, connected to your chain. So if anybody along that line fell, just the pain and the agony of that, you're not gonna try and pull away from that. Uh, sometimes uh, rather than the hook there, they would literally put a, a, a ring through the nose. And again, uh, you, you pull on that thing, you just rip your nose apart. They, they, are, they were known for filleting their enemies while they were still alive skinning them and flaying them. And, and, and again, just wretched, wretched people. The, the, the atrocities that they would do, not only to women and to children, uh, pregnant women, uh, just unbelievable. Hey, wicked, vile, vile people. There's, there's probably not been an empire as big as the Assyrian Empire, as wicked as the Assyrian Empire was that, that we really know, except maybe the, the Nazi regime, when they came, and again, the Holocaust and all that was done there. So now we have a fellow by the name of Jonah, and God tells him, Jonah, I want you to go and share my love to the Assyrians. Now, if you're an, an, an Israelite and you know this, these guys are your enemies, you've heard the stories about how vicious and how vile they were, Let's face it, you know, probably you and I would say, I don't think so, God. I think you need to call somebody else because I would just soon go kill those guys as I would go and share your love with them because they're vicious, they're vile, they're not gonna turn God. You don't understand how wicked they are. Do you ever give God those kinds of conversations? God, you don't see the situation that I'm in. And in reality, God said, yeah, I, I really do see the situation you're in. Well, it says... The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, when we look at that, we don't see any hope or any idea of repentance. 
but Jonah is fearful that they might repent. And so we see Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down. And it's interesting. We're going to see Jonah going down a couple of different places here. And anytime you and I do something other than what God calls us to do, guess what, gang? We're going down. We're going down. Well, you know the story. He went down to Joppa. He got on a ship, and he tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. I won't ask for a raise of hands of how many of you have tried to flee from the, uh, how many of us have tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. But we know that, you know, there's no mountain that he's not there. There's, there's no sea so deep, but that he's not there. There's no cave so dark, but that he's not there. The psalmist declares that to us. Jonah found that out really, really quick. Again, he got into the boat. The Lord sent a, a great wind against the boat. The ship was about to break up. Uh, verse five tells us that all of these seafaring experienced mariners, suddenly they became very afraid. They figured every man cried out to his God because they knew that they were about to die. Now, you got to understand, that's probably a pretty tough wind, a pretty bad storm going in there. These guys have sailed the seas before. They, they know what a storm is, but now they're in fear of their life, and so they're calling out to all of their gods. But uh, what we see there in verse 5, the last portion of it, but Jonah... He's still going down because Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship. And then he had laid down and he was fast asleep. You wonder how can you sleep in that? You know what? Just getting away, trying to find, trying to find a place of getting away from God. We find Jonah in every way that he can, just trying to pull away. The captain of the ship came to him and says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Get up, pray to your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Then uh, in verse seven, it says uh, they, they cast lots to find out who it is among them that was causing all of the trouble for them to again perish. So the lot fell, guess who? On Jonah. And so verse eight says, and they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? And I love this next question. They said, what is your occupation? Well, I'm a prophet of almighty God, but I'm running from him right now. You know, Jonah doesn't share his occupation at all. He does say, hey, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's in essence, that's his whole testimony to these mariners here on this boat. Well, the men were exceedingly afraid at that point in time. Says, why have you done this? Says, the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had also told them that. What shall we do that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. And he said, this is Jonah's idea, understand. Jonah said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm, become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Jonah understood that the peril and the problem and the situation that they were going through was because of his disobedience. I want to let you know real quick here, storms come in every one of our lives. Amen? Amen. 
Anybody in here never have a storm in their life? It's smooth sailing all your life? You're either very young or very naive, uh, if, if that's the case. Every one of us go through storms. Sometimes those storms are just the, the reality of the fallen world that we live in, okay? Just stuff that goes on, unfortunately. Sometimes those storms come to our life, causing us to just cry out for the Lord, for a deeper walk and a more dependence upon him. And sometimes those storms do come in our life to straighten us up and get us back on the right track because we're going the wrong way. And so God, in essence, brings that storm into our life to get our attention. It's a, it's a watery version of the woodshed, okay? And so this storm, though, here came because Jonah had directly and intentionally disobeyed God, and God had a plan for Jonah's life for the people of Nineveh. So they picked him up, they threw him in the water, and the sea ceased from its raging. And if that were the end of the story, the sea got calm. The men then, the the great thing about this, even if the story ended right there, look at verse 16. The men feared Jehovah exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Jehovah, and they took vows. I believe that they took vows to Jehovah, the God of Jonah. Now, did these guys get quote unquote saved? I don't know, but I believe that the God of all heaven, the one true God, got their attention. These are guys that have been praying to a multitude of gods. Now, the one true God really got their attention. Now, verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Come on, really? I mean, do you really believe that Jonah got swallowed by a big fish and he was able to stay in there for three days and three nights and still be alive. Really? Jesus believed it. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Now, was it a whale? Was it a shark? What was it? Look what it says here. Verse 17. Now, the Lord, that's Jehovah, the creator of the entire universe, the one who in six days created everything that we see and know, the Lord did what? Prepared a great fish. Do you think that maybe God could have prepared a fish that we don't know anything about anymore? a supernatural, miraculous thing that God was going to do. Because again, we rack our minds. How in the world could he live in the, in the belly of a giant fish? And I, I, I've seen a lot of documentaries. I've seen, read a lot of uh, articles and stuff about you know, how big some of these fish are, the, the reality that a man could be swallowed whole in there. And, but my question is, how does he last for three days? You know, is it a hand? It's the miracle of God. Is it the miracle of God that he lived for three days inside of a very closed tight area? Or is it a miracle of God that God created a greater fish that allowed him to be able to be in there and to be able to survive? All of it is miraculous. It's the hand of God. I believe that as the word said, God created a great fish and Jonah was left in there for three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. So when somebody says Jonah was swallowed by a whale, say, no, it wasn't. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that God prepared a great fish. So God did, I believe, a miraculous thing even there. 
Well, that got Jonah's attention. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Let me ask you, where's your prayer closet, huh? Yeah, aren't you glad it's not the belly of a fish? He cried out, I I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. You've heard my voice. Down in verse four, I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. You see, there was hope, there was faith in, in Jonah, even in there. He knew, okay, I'm in this fish. I'm in the ocean. I'm still alive. God must have a plan for me. All the garbage that you've gone through in life, all the attacks that you've gone through in life, all the issues that have happened to you, to your family, to you physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, in every way, you know what? You're still breathing. God still has a plan for you. God still has a purpose for you. And Jonah says, I know I will yet look again toward your holy temple. All the waters surround me, even to my soul, the deep closed upon me. Weeds are wrapped around my head. I went down. He understands that. He went down to the moorings of the mountains and that um, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, oh Lord my God. Now he is looking up. He had been going down, now he is looking up. So my soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord. I prayed to you. In your, uh, my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols, they forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. I think at that point in time, a little bit of seaweed wrapped around him, smelling of fish innards. You guys who fish and gut the fish, you know kind of what he's smelling like at this point in time. He might even be bleached out a little bit from being under there with all the other things that are going out. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, he went up this time, he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. He cried out, here is Jonah's message. The totality of the message that we know of probably one of the shortest evangelistic messages that we have within the word of God. He cried out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I believe as he went through that city, he continued proclaiming that message. It says that it took him a multitude of days to get through that city because it was so big. And again, he's declaring that message. Yet 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, you look at this guy, he's bleached probably, he's got smelling like a dead fish, and he's walking through here. He's an Israelite. The Assyrians know, hey, we're about to kill the Israelites. Here's this guy, crazy as a loon coming in through our gates and declaring this message, I believe that he got their attention. But I don't believe that just because Jonah was there and the message was there that they necessarily suddenly turned. 
History tells us that actually just a couple of years prior to this, now again, we're saying that, that Jonah had gone through there around 759 BC, 760 BC, just a couple of years before that in 765, remember you go backwards in the Old Testament, 765, so about five years before that, and very possibly even earlier this same year that a plague had gone through the city of Nineveh, killing hundreds if not thousands of people. One of the other things we know is about three years prior to this, there was a total eclipse of the sun. Now, in these Eastern religions, those are signs that the gods are not happy. Now, here comes Jonah with this message. Hey, 40 days, you guys are gonna be overthrown. Suddenly, their minds start saying, wow, we've had these two plagues over the last you know, uh, few years. We had that solar eclipse this last year. Man, God is moving. And now here comes this messenger, not from their gods, but from the God of Israel proclaiming this. And guess what? They repent. Verse five, so the people of Nineveh believed God. They fasted. They, they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne. He laid aside his robes. He covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? This guy was serious about his repentance. This isn't just going through the motion. He suddenly believed that, look, we are going to perish. We need to repent. We see this because we know that it's a real repentance, not just an outward form of repentance because of the next verse. The next verse, verse 10, what does it say? When God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring to them, and he did not do it. You know what? You can fool me. I can fool you. But none of us can fool God. We can come and we can speak our best Christianese. We can cry crocodile tears of, 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 of repentance. We can say all kinds of things. But beloved, let me assure you, if it's not real in our heart, God knows that. And I believe that that's true here for these Ninevites that I believe that really and truly there was a repentance. Did every one of the hundreds of thousands that were in Nineveh repent? I don't know, but I do know that there was a major enough repentance that took place there that God pulled back from his destruction of the Assyrians at that time. And I say at that time, because we find out, if you remember, again, the situation, we're talking 760 or so right now, uh, BC. Remember, 40 years later, it's the Assyrians that come and attack the northern kingdom, Israel, and destroy it, wipe it out. What happened in 40 years? Well, let me ask you this. 
what's happened in the United States in 40 years or 60 years. You see, one generation does not guarantee the salvation of the next generation. Amen? Number one, unless it's real in our life, it will not be passed on to the next generation. As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you, too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible right here on The Open Word. Make us more.